The Secrets of Middle-Earth is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hi, everyone. You're listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth, where we discuss the hidden themes and deeper layers found in the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, whether in his writings or in any of the media derived from them. Today, we're discussing The Rings of Power, Episode 7, titled The Eye. I'm Thomas Enhero, and joining me today are Caitlin Fascista. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, thanks for having me. Good, good to have you here. Thomas Salerno. Hey there, Thomas. And Jeff Hecker. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Thomas. And it's good to be back. I had to take a little hiatus last week because I had an actual tempest near my house. So <laughs> not just Galadriel, but, uh, but a real hurricane that uh, knocked the power out for us for a few nights. and kind of hard to do a podcast when that happens so thank you guys for taking over i I appreciate it it came out really good yeah absolutely we had a lot of fun before we get started um i'd like to remind everybody be sure to follow secrets of middle earth in apple podcasts google Podcasts, spotify or any podcast directory or app find us on social media at facebook.com slash starquest media or on twitter where we're at sqpn or you can find us on instagram where we're at starquest network and we've been getting a lot of great feedback from the show so much so that I can't actually read it all anymore. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm going to run through a couple of things really quickly uh, that were generated from last week and possibly just a little bit previously to last week. Uh, but thank you all for sending in your feedback. It's amazing to hear how many people are really excited about this show and how many of you are really knowledgeable about Tolkien lore and are kind of like us where it's like we know so much that it's it's driving how we're making decisions about what's happening in the show and how we're feeling about some things in the show. And we'll get into that more deeply this, this evening as well. I'm sure um, we got some feedback from Paula who says that she's really been enjoying the podcast. She appreciates the generally fun and positive tone. Even when the show itself, the TV show itself gets a bit silly or dodgy. Uh, so thanks so much for keeping it lighthearted. Uh, she had a comment about Ellen statement about the sunrise and the death of his wife. And she was saying that she uh, was wondering if they had ever stated that the Elendil and his family had lived on the Western shore, or if this is just kind of something we're assuming from the lore slash from some of the way they're talking about things bef- and, until the point at which his wife dies. And she says, but I've been wondering if their talk of the past in the West was more of a legacy past rather than a personal past. And she mentions that Gimelzor, who was one of the banned Elvish, uh, who was the one who banned the Elvish tongue and moved Elendili from the Andwe to Romena, uh, was king. He was king before Elendil was born. So maybe he's talking about that past, not that it was a personal family past, but that it's the you know the whole group of their past. So what do you guys think about that? I I don't know. I think that I think it feels right, but at the same time, it seems like it's a more directly connected thing to their family. I feel like this might have been something that the actor brought up in an interview. Okay. Because for some reason in my mind that I I have a very clear image of them um, being in the West. And then I think it's like after his wife died, they moved more to the capital. But I don't remember if that was in the show or if I was talking to someone about it or if it was an interview. So I'm going to mm. have to look that up. Yeah, yeah, because I don't, I don't know that it was in the show, but it, it fits yeah, with the way it, so. with the way everything kind of reads in the show. Uh, yeah, I don't think it was. Okay. Yeah, it's like I, I think there's 
there's some plot detail that they might either be hiding from us, you know, that they want to reveal later. So I think mm-hmm. some of the, the details about this are kind of fuzzy right now. I think on purpose. Yeah. yeah and I feel like they, they, I feel like they have a good sense of developing these characters over multiple seasons, which I like. I like that they're not trying to shovel. It felt for a little bit like they were trying to shovel everything into this first season. <laughs> but but it's because I'm, you know, I'm realizing now they've got a lot of characters and they want to have a lot of room for them to grow. But in order to do that, they have to set a lot of groundwork. And I, I the groundwork's just now paying off in these last couple of episodes, uh, which we'll talk a, a little bit more more deeply about in a minute. But uh, she says that's her headcanon, uh, that that uh, the voice that uh, Isildur is hearing is his mother's voice. And um, until they say otherwise, that's what she that's what she's going to stick with. And she said it's fun speculating about it. So which I agree. <laughs> I think that's one of the the most fun parts about the uh, episodes, especially with the rest of my family not having been as into Tolkien lore as I am. Um, I, I know all the names and am familiar with everybody. And my wife's like, wait a minute, pause it. We need to figure out what all the names are of the people on screen. And I'm like, OK, well, that's uh, that's our first on some like <laughs> pointing people out as we're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, we had another uh, from Quincy Wheeler who says that uh, they love the episode. Uh, they believe that the actress who plays Iarian said in an interview that Isildur's mom uh, died saving Isildur in a river. And so I don't know. Oh. That would be an interesting. That's an interesting because Isildur, oh, no. he, he himself drowns in a river later, right? Or he's he shot and his body falls into mm-hmm. a river. Right. Yeah, man, just that's pretty brutal. <laughs> he's a tragic, tragic figure just all around. Yeah, uh, we did get one comment from uh, YouTube that we have a, a, a viewer who's in Europe and they just wanted to uh, say hi to us, uh, that they're in Montenegro and that they are watching, they're listening to the podcast from over there. So that's good. We've got an that's international cool. viewership score. Yeah, that's super cool. <laughs> and then we have one uh, regular commenter, uh, C.R. Nugent, who's got quite a pedigree for uh, Tolkienology. I think similar to all of us, he's read almost everything. Uh, and he's he agrees with us that we still haven't met Sauron. Uh, he doesn't even think it's Adar. Uh, and he believes that, uh, you know, we're, we're going to see that coming up because somewhere along all of this process, we have to see this before the fall of Numenor. Um. He also commented that he was glad that Elendil and Isildur made up. This was from last week's episode uh, or the the, the previous week's episode. Um, And he's confused about the concept of Isildur looking to the West. So same same as we were just talking about a minute ago. Uh, But then he goes on to say that, you know, uh, we have a lot of names uh, from them. So Elendil, uh, his father's name was Amandil, the lover of Amon, which is another word for uh, for the West. And so. you know, maybe they mean West, the West of Numenor, not necessarily the West in the term of elves, but just the Western side of Numenor. Uh, he doesn't believe that they were sailing out further than just that part of Numenor. So that's kind of what he thinks is being shown in the the sailing portions that were going on there. And then um, he also, you know, wanted to bring back up the fact that the Numenorians are found have founded the colonies inside of the inside of Middle Earth. And that the, that that all happens though after the fall of Numenor, when uh, both Isildur and Elendil come across the waves and begin founding the kingdoms after Numenor has fallen and develop it further from there. So, 
Yeah, there's a lot of different timelines. And I feel like this episode cleared up a couple of different timeline issues that we've all been pointing at. Yeah, I think it placed us a little bit more firmly um, with our feet on the ground Mm -hmm. in terms of figuring out what's going on. Yeah, a couple of things that I'm not not thrilled about but i see where they're going i I would say i think this episode for me at least this episode clearly established the delineation between this being a peter jackson version of lord of the rings as opposed to a full-on tolkien version lord of the rings which i'm on board for it was just finally it was good to finally get a clear here's what we're going with and i i don't know about you guys but that's kind of what i felt this episode did really well yeah, I've kind of gotten that sense through the whole series, but with this episode in particular, I was like, uh, and I think uh, Jeff, you and I were talking about this on Slack before the before we recorded. But there's so many references in just in this episode, even little things to the Peter Jackson movies. Not to mention a, a particular monster near the end that looks <laughs> almost identical <laughs> yeah. to its Peter Jackson version. Very much so. Yeah. It. It's wild to think that he's not being involved in the series at all when it's like the whole thing is inspired mm-hmm. by him. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I counted s- probably six or seven references at least that were like I could see as like, did Peter Jackson direct this or <laughs> use this or something? Because there was very clearly like, and, and that's not even necessarily counting the ball rock, right. which um, is, you know, based on his vision of that rather than maybe rather than the original descriptions of Bingo, yeah well and, and i think um i i, I wish I, I like his i like his vision of things i think it, i think it came across on screen I, I think the the biggest thing that i had problems with in his presentation was always just the hokiness of like you know the the elf sliding down a uh stairs on his on a shield and shooting arrows <laughs> And and I will say that because because I didn't get to make this commentary last uh, episode, I wanted to make it now. I love the fight scene in this uh, series. And I know that a lot of people have problems with the like acrobatic uh, horse riding elf that, you know, like sliding off the side of her saddle to avoid um, arrows and stuff. I loved it. I thought it was phenomenal. I thought it fit kind of the genre. It wasn't, in my opinion, too overboard. And it's really not considering what she's wearing and what it would be like if it was made out of elven materials, right? It wouldn't be unreasonable for her to be able to do that kind of thing, given you know her ability and her timeline and what she's been built up to be in this show. I also think if you've been riding a horse for a thousand plus mm-hmm. years, like you would be very good at it. You would be able to do cool <laughs> tricks like people normal humans can do mm-hmm. cool tricks on horses yeah. so imagine how much cooler an elf could be on a horse is that's kind of what i was thinking Absolutely. yeah yeah i always thought that elves were stronger faster had better reflexes than normal people anyway so you know to w- within reason i mean you know th- there comes a point like in in the hobbit movies with legolas is kind of <laughs> super mario jumping off the blocks <laughs> where it's a little bit ridiculous but as long as they're not like <laughs> truly defying gravity or anything, I usually don't have a problem with it. Bingo. Yeah. And, and I hope I hope they cleave to that pretty well, where it's like obey the laws of physics, but push the boundaries of, you know, human possibility. I'm good. <laughs> that's like that's a great uh, that's a great line to differentiate the two. So I love the combat. Um, 
last episode and and I, I feel like we got the most exciting action portions of the show that we're going to get i don't think we're going to get any more in the last episode of the season i think last episode of the season is going to be build up to that final exposition of who are we looking for as sauron and just and it's going to be the back of their head because i don't think they're going <laughs> to even tell us it's just going to be the back of the person's head and we're gonna be like no <laughs> uh so yeah um in this one we got so we got three different storylines uh really and and jeff uh, do you want to read your summary would you mind going through like let's do them we can do them one by one if you're cool reading it because you did such a good summary of it on slack uh sort of tongue-in-cheek which i loved and i think it definitely encapsulates some of what i wanted to talk about with this so if you if we just go through them like yeah do you want me to read read it just yeah, so you just want to read that or... first paragraph and then we can go through and talk about it and then we'll do the second one and, okay. and the third one. Sure. All right. So in this episode that is not directed by Peter Jackson, the Southlanders, Numenorians, and Galadriel flee the ruin from Mount Doom. Elendil, the now blinded Queen Regent, and Valendil survived while Antimo did not. Sildor is left behind and is definitely dead and never coming back. Galadriel flees with Theo, hiding from enemies under a tree, tree log, revealing Celeborn is also definitely dead and never coming back. They reunite with Bronwyn and everyone else and learn Halbrand is alive but needs elvish medicine. Galadriel and Halbrand ride to London for him to be healed. So I love that we have... So that's kind of the first, uh, first of the yep. main plot lines. And here. I love the fact that we have so many characters that are definitely dead and never coming back. Definitely. definitely. <laughs> so I, I, it's, it's funny because I think some of it there there's low stakes for a lot of these characters so we know that Isildur's not dead right we uh, we know that for sure but an interesting way to make stakes for these characters is to pull them out of their comfort zone and do something different with them which i feel like they're they're doing that effectively because they just had his father and his and the Numenorean sail off and there's like a contingent left behind but most of them have sailed off and then you've got Galadriel and Halbrand have now left the area as well. So even if Isildur is found and comes back and they let the horse go, right? So Beric's gone, which is probably going to be how he's saved. But, you know, uh, you've, you've got a system in which there are some stakes now for this character where something's going to happen that he's going to lose something of, of who he is, of his innocence as a, as a, as a boy. And that's going to lead into who he becomes later, which is good. I like that they've built kind of a little bit of weight to that uh, to that storyline in there. What else do you guys feel about this uh, this storyline with the the Halbrand and the the Numenorians? Yeah, I I think they they've introduced something interesting um, with Muriel be becoming blind. Because that throws mm -hmm. a whole nother wrench into the whole Numenorean politics thing. And, mm -hmm. you know, is is Arpharazon going to use that to try and undermine her as like weak, you know, because she's blind? How can she effectively rule? You know, I, I, I just thought that was was interesting. We don't know a lot about Muriel from the Legendarium. So they kind of have a lot of you know room to do what they want with this character. And I, I, I just thought that was an, an interesting and, and unexpected choice. And I'm really interested to see where they go with it. I almost wonder if they're going to try to avoid the way that Farazone forces Muriel to marry mm -hmm. him and instead make it into some kind of 
him assuming command because they see her as unable to lead maybe because I, I feel like I've heard a lot of people say that the, the idea of, you know, Farah's own kind of forcing her to marry him is kind of makes people uncomfortable or maybe takes away some of her agency. Um, and so I'm kind of wondering if they're going to change that a little bit mm-hmm. just to, to see what, I don't, I don't know, just to make things a little different. I don't necessarily like any changes that, that could be made, but I'm wondering if that's where they're going with it. Yeah. Or maybe they see that Farazan kind of convinces her that, you know, you're, you've, you've been dealt this blow. Now you've literally lost your sight, but together we can, you know, unite Numenor. Um, and, but, you know, it, it can't just be, it, you know, we have to make it official. Mm. Uh, we have to make it stronger than just, I'm your advisor. So, and I think I, in one of the first few episodes, I said that I wonder if the king will have died while she's gone, while they're mm. gone. So I'm curious to, to get back to Numenor and see where, see what the situation is there. But I, I yeah, I think hopefully they don't do a forced marriage kind of thing. Um, I could definitely see Tarmiriel is, is agreeing to it out of a, you know, political, uh, you know, or kind of a, what she thinks is the best for Numenor type of situation. So, um, but it is interesting that she's now blind because in a lot of, you know, in both our real world history and fantasy, the blind characters are usually, or often like a, a seer mm-hmm. type of character. Oh yeah. Have some kind of, you know, mystical, mystical sight. So, and we, and we did see that she had a prophetic vision for so right. i wonder if this kind of will solidify that power and you know maybe she'll use the palantir more to see and that could corrupt things as well if she's able to still use that as a, as a way to see Ooh, that so, would be interesting yeah definitely a lot, an interesting uh, yeah yeah definitely an interesting you know storyline developing there and uh that's you you see that in her already when galadriel comes back and one of the first things she does is it, just that well of power of we're leaving for now, but we're going to be back with a larger force because this foe has united us against them. Yeah. And she's like very <laughs> mad. <laughs> yeah. She's like, Oh, we're coming back. We're like, maybe, I, maybe she wasn't super into this cause beforehand, but she's very into it now. And I did a little bit of research a few weeks ago where I learned that apparently e- even Tolkien was like a little bit uncomfortable with the forced marriage thing. Cause he wrote an alternative version that didn't get published in the Silmarillion where she kind of goes along with our Farazan. So, mm. yeah. So oh, yeah. I, I, I was wondering if maybe they're going to take that more, something more along those lines than him doing the more kind of game of Thrones thing and forcing her to marry him. Right. Well, and it could be, yeah, that makes know, sense. History, the history gets written by whoever's alive to write it. And, if if Elendil's not in her favor when they return or she gets pulled out away from him because he's not wanting to go back, right, then maybe maybe he doesn't know. And so what ends up being the written history is that she is she is forced to marry where she didn't even marry him. But that's what Erforazon says to try and legitimize what he's done. Uh, cause you know, it's entirely possible to just kind of hide her away like her dad and then say, well, she's incapable of ruling, but she, 
we united and this is the this is the power that I'm taking from here. And we know that it was against the customs of the Numenorians to marry your your cousin. Mm-hmm. So even if she was unwilling, um, that still does present a kind of a weird problem for them. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested in the fact that Elendil now has a lot of room for some interesting character growth because now he hates Middle Earth and doesn't want to go back there. He's like, you know, I hope I never see Mm -hmm. this place again. You know, let's put this place behind our sails where we know he has to be the guy who later when he comes to Middle Earth after the downfall says in this place will I abide and my heirs unto the ending of the world. So we we have to see his transformation from a guy who never wants to see Middle Earth again to a guy who is kind of forced by circumstances to make his home there. Yeah. Yeah, And I'm wondering with him going back, if we'll see if this will kind of be, and I don't know if we'll see him this season, but the loss of Isildur or supposed loss will kind of make him reach out to Narion, try to, you know, because we don't really know what the, what that relationship is right now, which is, it seems they're estranged, but we don't really know. Uh, and then his daughter as well. So yeah, uh, hoping to see, I, I, I don't know if we'll see that Nari on the next episode, but um, I'm, I think Elendil uh, is one of my favorite characters in the show. Definitely. So, uh, he's the, both the actor and just the writing, I think are, are really strong for him, uh, for that character. So. Yeah. I, I, concur completely on that point he is he's really a strong suit anytime he's on screen but i want to rewind because part of what you said i i think kind of uh is is that proof of the the we're not doing the tolkien tolkien thing we're doing the peter jackson tolkien thing (laughs) which is that galadriel uh in comforting theo uh explains to him who she has lost to the war and mentions that she Mm -hmm. has lost her husband (laughs) And n- n- no body uh, he's he's not dead she didn't find his body so as far as i'm returned yeah. well she didn't say and she didn't say died she she just says yeah i never returned or I've, i haven't seen him since or mm-hmm. i i watched it again but i i can't remember the specific yeah lines, i was yelling they don't, they specifically didn't say he's dead uh but but they but they i I have to say, you know, we've we've been concerned about this, right? We've been, this mm-hmm. has been an issue that has that we've been we've brought up a couple of times. Like she should be married by now. She some somehow in here, and so to their credit, they've said they've now given us a reason why that's not what's going on. Now I don't like what that does with her and Halbrand and the the, uh, the, right. the shipping it that's going on there. It's a whole another set of problems <laughs> right. here. And then if she was married, does she have her daughter yet? Mm-hmm. And there's no mention of her. Like, mm-hmm. and she's supposed, her daughter is supposed to marry Elrond and Elrond is already however old. And is this going to be like a twilight kind of thing where Bella has her baby and Jacob is like imprinting on the oh, baby? No. Like, <laughs> I just feel like this is just a bizarre, unless we hear about the daughter soon, like this is just getting ridiculous. I did think it was cute when she she's talking about his armor and it mm-hmm. doesn't fit. And she called she said she called him a silver clam. I thought that was cute, which and it's also a pun on his name, right? Because Celeborn right. means mm-hmm. silver tree, I believe. And, and she calls him silver clam. I'm like, and she smiles when she says it. I'm like, I thought that was sweet. Yeah. I think it's 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 an interesting take on her with a child. And so I, I'm intrigued about where 
her daughter fits into this because it'll be it, it will be relevant it's important it's significant uh because it also is significant i mean and there's no escaping it for the peter jackson films either so it's not like they can just you know dodge out of it uh because that union then produces the union that becomes arwen which is then you know so right it's you know you, you can't just uh well it There's didn't happen that here. way <laughs> yeah so you're, you're really changing some major stuff it also presents another weird problem too because if her daughter has been born and is living in middle earth then she would have gotten on the boat to valinor without any mention of her or saying mm-hmm. goodbye or anything so that creates a whole nother strange uh question in my mind I wonder if they can they can they can possibly handle some of that stuff with flashbacks, I, which I feel like because I feel like that first episode was rushed in oh, the yeah. need to mm-hmm. get just to get like ink on paper for all the stories. And so I I really do feel like we're going to especially with a lot of spots in this first season, we're going to get stuff as they introduce new characters that they're going to tie back in with some recall and you know kind of retconning <laughs> as they go through uh <laughs> just just because it's there's so there was so much to do and they just wanted to establish this baseline and as they grow out and and up with the characters because they're not killing them as fast as they were killing them in game of thrones they're gonna have to do some more work on where they fit into everything else that was going on i'm wondering if Celeborn will actually meet some of the other characters. Like if he shows up next season, that he will end up working his way into one of the other story arcs that's going on. Mm. Because I'm like, well, where could Celeborn be hiding out? You know, assuming he's hiding out somewhere. And I'm like, maybe he's <laughs> either in what becomes Lorien or what becomes mm-hmm. Mirkwood. And I know that the, the hobbits and stuff are heading off in that direction. So I was like, could he cross over with other characters, you know, before he makes, you know, the the big reunion with Galadriel and all that? I just hope that they finish whatever they're doing with Halbrand and Galadriel before we meet Celeborn, because this is just such an uncomfortable situation. Yeah, no, no, no triangle, please. Yeah, (laughs) right. And like, especially the fact that she's like, yeah, he looked really goofy in his armor. And then you have Halbrand, who does not look goofy in his armor at all. And I feel like there's this very strange, like, I don't know, there's so much tension between those two. So the tension that there's going to have to be between like the chemistry between Galadriel and her actual husband is going to have to be like something. I don't know. It's just going to be weird unless they kind of finish this thing off before we meet Celeborn. I don't, it's hard to see where they're going. It's, it's interesting because what they could do, and this is, this is a thought about uh, a possibility because she's such a loose cannon. uh, There, there is a trope in, in fantasy lit about, you know, having a, a princess be the calming influence on the the you know the wild prince right who's out doing his thing and then he he comes home to the princess who calms him down and this would be an interesting inversion on that right where it's you're you're taking this this woman who has been all about uh fighting like galadriel's whole stick is about uh the incessant need to defeat the enemy and they and the elves need some way to chill her out so that she doesn't continue to become the darkness. And 
you know, maybe that's what that's what he was initially even was uh, that calming influence for her. And we see that come back. And then I could see a love triangle being something that happens in that sense that she's diving down that road of of being just more hot headed, more uh, nonstop and intense, because that's something that's very mannish. Right. The 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 constant need to act and to do. And and that's not in full character with an elf. And so what that would be would be her turning back to who she truly is in that sense of being an elf and, you know, putting aside the need to act now and to become more long minded. So I don't know. I'm not all about love triangles. No, it, it would come off to me as like very fan fiction like. Yeah, that like well, that's true Hal, Hal Brind is well. somebody's self insert character, and it's like, oh, I'm gonna right. pair my my guy with Galadriel, and it, uh, oh. <laughs> okay. It also depends too, um, and I don't know if we don't want to if we want to wait on the Halbrand and the Sauron meter, but there is speculation out there that if and, and I'm not, I still don't think it, it's him. I'm maybe higher than I was, but. I think it, there's speculation out there that if Sauron, if Halbrand is Sauron, it's all like a trick for him to try to seduce her, and then you know just more shenanigans, leading to more kind of shenanigans among the elves, and uh, you know her kind of realizing I fell for my greatest enemy, kind of a thing. Now again, I, I'm I'm not leaning toward that way, but that is speculation that's out there. So I'm if if I had to pick, I, I hope between the love triangle or you know, that kind of situation, I'd prefer the love triangle, but I, I agree with you. I would not, I would prefer there not to be a triangle. <laughs> Just bring Kelleborn back. Maybe he's, maybe he's already there at Linden. Mm. Um, when they get back and they, and Galadriel has to be like, oh, well, this is, this is the kind of the guy that I've been kind of hanging out with. Uh, this is my husband. <laughs> you know, maybe kind of finish that storyline off so i think i think the love triangle Whoa. might end up being halbrand going wait what this this wasn't a thing and she's like no this wasn't a thing are you kidding me so one thing that that did remind me of and it does actually feel very tolkien if you think about it is the way that aragorn in the lord of the rings kind of accidentally leads aowen oh, yeah. on because he's just so chivalrous uh-huh. and he's you know he just kind of is just like, oh, yes, my lady, like, you're so beautiful. And like, it's so great to see you again. And he's just too nice that she ends up think like misreading things and falling for him. So I was like, well, I can see Galadriel doing the same thing because everyone falls in love with Galadriel. And then um, especially in episode six, when Hallbrand is like, you know, if I could bind myself to you or whatever he said, um, she like closes her eyes and I, it almost looks like, Oh no, not again. <laughs> Another guy's falling in love with me kind what of situation. So that's where they're going. <laughs> yeah. She's like a, not another man falling in love with me. This happens every time. Mm. Like, so if that's where they're going and there's no reciprocation, like, okay, that, that would be fine with me. Yeah. I, I, I think that might end up being kind of the angle they take with it. Uh, which I hope so. I don't I don't I don't feel like they've pushed her too far in any particular direction. And it it's at best an admiration amongst peers between the two of them, which I like. I wouldn't mind them being battle buddies at all. I don't think that's a a bad step to take. So we'll see. And I think she calls him a friend in episode seven. So I think mm-hmm. she's 
friend zoning yeah. in there. I noticed that. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, friend zoning. She's like, let's go, friend. Bre- like that SpongeBob episode. Friend. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, and I think the other thing to talk about in this in this story, uh, in this plot, is Theo and uh, her giving him the sword which I thought was really cool because I know we've had Halbrand on for on our meter for the um the leader of the the lost armies but Theo could also be a potential uh for that position as well you know That's true especially because Halbrand is leaving the Southlands at the end of mm-hmm. this episode so maybe it's Theo who stays behind and he grows up and becomes the king of the, the ghosts. Becomes friends with Isildur, who comes back to this group, you know, after being saved. Yeah. So. I was really hoping Theo would become the witch king, but maybe that's not as likely. Well, hmm, I, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. I think there's, I feel like there's something to the blade. And so I'm going to go back through <laughs> And and watch mm-hmm. some watch some Peter Jackson footage of different characters and try and figure out maybe if this blade is in someone else's hand in the Peter Jackson movies. So we'll see. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering I'm if we're ever going to see the only named Ringwraith in the Legendarium. I'm waiting for mm-hmm. Kamul to show up. He's the only Ringwraith that's given a name. And so I'm waiting for that guy to show up and I'll be like, oh, you're going to be a ring wraith in, in a few seasons. I wonder if when he does show up, we won't get his name or if we'll get a new uh, name yeah. for him or something. That could be interesting. Because I'm sure they wouldn't want to, with all of the secrets from season one, I'm sure they're going to be trying to keep that up for all these yeah. other seasons. Well, and um, he's, is he an Easterling? Yeah. Where, yeah, yeah. So, so I and he's the I lieutenant he's, of the Witch King. Right. So I think these three, these three mysterious figures that, that show up in this, in this next segment that I'm going to have Jeffrey about, I, I think they are, um, uh, I think they're Easterlings as well. And I think that's kind of how that group's going to tie in. I've, I've heard whispers about, you know, where they fit in and where they come from. So if you wouldn't mind reading that next paragraph, we can kick off talking about that section, Jeff. Sure. So meanwhile, the Harfoots arrive at their destination, which is a burned ruin. Meteor Man uses magic and presumably kills a tree and so is exiled. However, after he's left, it causes the grove to spring to life. The three women tracking him arrive and then burn the Harfoot's wagons. And Sadik leads an expedition into the wild to find him. Right. So I, I don't know about you guys, but I thought this was the most compelling Harfoot storyline that we've gotten out of all of them. Honestly. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's where I was most sympathetic to the Harfoots mm-hmm. and what they were doing. They seemed more like real characters here and not just a bunch of odd proto-hobbits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I, I will say I had to watch this on a small screen in a bright room. And so this was the hardest part to watch because there were all these really, really dark scenes. So oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I missed a lot of the... Um, the three figures and what they were doing, but it, it was, I liked the way that they put them together with the story that was going on here. So we still don't know who Meteor Man is. Uh, we still don't know who these three are. 
but we're getting closer to a revelation on that point. I think they're, I'm, I think they're going to tie that up in the end, in the last episode. So we'll see. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I th- and if you've, I don't know if y'all watched the finale mm-hmm. trailer, but it does, I think in the, in the finale trailer, you do hear, I think what they've, what p- most people are identifying as one of the women's voices as saying something like my Lord Sauron. Mm. So it does seem to be that they were, that they are kind of agents of agents of evil. Uh, you know, now whether you don't still don't know what they are, they seem to be, I'm, I'm assuming there's some kind of Maiar just because they do have powers, uh, unless they're using kind of artifacts that have powers imbued in them so that they don't have to generate it their own. But it does seem like they're, you know, kind of a, some form of IR or Mistari or something. I'm sure the wizards for those who may not know, but, um, so yeah, I think, I think we can definitely, we can say, you know, they are, you know, they're not the good guys. So. And I definitely don't think they're normal humans. So they're definitely something special. Yeah, and like we know that at later in the third age, Sauron was kind of notorious for teaching his human disciples sorcery. Like they say mm-hmm. that the mouth of Sauron knows sorcery and some of the more powerful Easterlings and Southron. So, you know, they might be normal humans, but are like sorceresses and were taught by Morgoth or Sauron mm-hmm. himself. I mean, Sauron, I think they say in the first episode, has a reputation as like, the best sorcerer of Morgoth's various lieutenants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. And he's been doing lots of experiments. I think, so right. That fits. Yes. This has been the hardest plot line for me to follow because I still find myself wondering like, why is any of this important? Mm. Whereas with the other plot lines, you can see the plot moving forward and you can see how it fits into the grand scheme of everything. But really all we have with the Harfoots is their relation to the stranger. And we still don't know who the stranger is. And so it's hard for it to like, it just doesn't really appeal to me at all. Mm. Um, just because it doesn't, it's just hard to see how it fits. We, we don't get enough answers in there, like like their plot is clearly moving slower than everybody else's in terms of like it's more of a drip feed of information than they're they're giving mm-hmm. us. You know that I feel like in some ways that they, they they may not be giving a lot of viewers enough to go on with this plot. You know, if if by mm-hmm. the end of the season we don't know something either about Meteor Man or about the sorceresses then I think that's going to kind of be a big disappointment. They have to give us some something to chew on, some kind of revelation about these people. Otherwise, yeah. it's going to feel like you, you had the whole season to develop this, guys. Like, you know. <laughs> and yeah, and all they've done is walking, which I get that's what the hobbits do in The Lord of the Rings, too. Like, The Lord of the Rings is a lot of walking as well, but there's walking with plot advancement, and there's answers mm-hmm. that are given. So, yeah, if there's no answers to a lot of their mysteries by the end of this it's going to be hard to wait another two years <laughs> to get it <laughs> it'll be just kind of just frustrating yeah. well, it'll um, be like that which is not how you want your audience to it's feel it's that first warg that showed up to look at look over their shoulders that never paid off still has not paid off at any point and you know yeah. and it's it, it was something it was a threat that that was seeing when they were out they were out picking berries right and then there was that war oh, well, the, of... the, the three wargs attacked them a few episodes ago right 
Eh, that's so far away from where they were. Yeah, I though. took that as they, it was part of the same. Yeah, but well, I just took that they were being tracked and that it was part of the same but pack I, or something. That, that was kind of tracking them. I feel like I mean, the I guess wards, it could be separate, but or the wolves must be connected to the mystics because there's three wolves and there's three mm-hmm. mystics. So I've seen Ooh, could the, be the theory that they are like werewolves or something like that. Or um, I do think that they're related in some way. Well, and then Poppy saw the weird footprint, right? That, like that, yeah. They could be, they could be them that they were. Yeah. So I and and I don't know, I, I don't know if you could tell what what the the footprint that Poppy saw before she drops the bucket is, but you know that's. Yeah, I was, I saw that too, and I I, I wasn't sure about what that what that was because it it seemed like it was not uh-huh. human, but or not you know human or you know humanoid. It seemed like it was a little bit different. I didn't. I should have paused on that, but. So I'm curious to see what that that will be. It looked like a giant boot. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought. Okay. What if it's Tom Bombadil uh, and his boots are yellow? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a funny addition. <laughs> he just comes out of nowhere, up stays for five minutes, and then leaves. Finally, it's appeared in a Peter Jackson I would Jackson take back film. every criticism. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't mind if he made a, an, an appearance. That would be. I think that would be phenomenal. Honestly, I would really like if he just was there and then he just left and kind of had no part to play. I would love that. <laughs> he just hums a tune, hums a merry tune and is on his way. You just like see him walking through the garden or through the forest. And then you're like, oh, who is that? Oh, next scene. Uh, Maybe at the very end of the series, when the Harfoots kind of settle down and form the Shire, uh, we'll see them kind of walk through a meadow and there's cottage and <laughs> that would be really cool see some- get to see him and his river wife right <laughs> i would love that so yeah and i think that's that's pretty much uh th- this section i think was really th- the most interesting part of this section is the end where they're s- going off to try and find the stranger and warn him that the that the three uh, trackers are coming after him and it's like do they, do they think they sent them far enough in the wrong direction to be able to <laughs> To, that, that's that's one of the things yeah. that threw me like i was like i know what's happening here so when uh when oh my gosh i lost her name what's the lead nori, nori? Yeah, so, so when nori um stops them and says no he went that way like i know intuitively from the show that she's pointing them in the wrong direction but it didn't feel like there was anything in that scene that was indicative of the fact that that's what she was actually doing like it's almost like like you couldn't tell if she was pointing them in the wrong direction or totally selling him out and then they're supposed to get to him before the the trackers do which seems just totally bizarre to me i don't know it seems also dark so and that the, doesn't help yeah <laughs> yeah but i like if i were these mystics and i was following these special signs i wouldn't be deterred by some little foot girl telling me oh actually you're in the wrong way like i i just think i would trust my own magical mm-hmm. instincts and tracking abilities so i feel like kind of what she did was essentially useless but but maybe that's not true within the actual story i don't know <laughs> it'll throw them off long enough that they have to teleport the other direction and <laughs> <laughs> right yeah they'll be five minutes behind just it's it'll be the that plot timing that's that's what they need is that that just that plot timing <laughs> just a little bit yeah. all right so then 
We need another eucatastrophe. So if you would mind reading us out the last, this last section, uh, this last storyline, Jeff. Sure. And I did have the tagline. At oh, the yeah. End, so uh, I'm come back to that. But uh, so the last storyline here is Elrond pleads with King Durin for Mithril, who denies the request. Prince Durin minds anyway after seeing, a myth, after seeing Mithril heal a rotting leaf. He finds a rich vein, but the king essentially disinherits him for his disobedience. A leaf uh, falls ominously to the bottom of the mine and is burned by the awakened Balrog. I loved the, the dwarf scenes for the dwarf interactions. Not so much for the like meta plot stuff that's happening, but all of the mm-hmm. dwarf stuff is amazing just for the dwarfs <laughs> interacting with each other. <laughs> Those actors are doing an incredible job, oh, too. And under, like, prosthetic, too. All of their scenes were great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much emotion coming across. I mean, I, I love Durin, the elder Durin, with all you can see is, like, this tiny little bit of his face, but you feel every single one of the lines that he delivers very fully. And I, it's, yeah, it's just very well done. So, I don't know. I... I want to see what more about this stuff with the mithril and the the rot. And I was hoping that it was a lie. Okay, it's not a lie. It's um apparently it's very true. Uh well no, all all we see is that the mithril cures the blight on the tree. We don't know if it's actually gonna save the elves' lives like they're thinking that's true. of doing. I was That's fair, but the way that it it heals the the leaf. It just looks like you're watching a superhero yeah. movie, and it was just I. That wasn't that was the second time where I was yelling at the TV. <laughs> this episode, I was just like, no, 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 no. I can't believe this. This is real. This is like that. That was hard for me to get past as a, a fan of the books, and I was hoping that this whole Mithril thing was made up. But it's apparently true in universe. At it least was part very of it silly. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's like s- silver it has antibiotic properties, you know? Like, <laughs> just, it's like super antibiotic properties because it's like super silver. Uh, <laughs> um, so I don't know. This this is going to be a deep cut. And this is me, um, me being a total nerd. But um, there is a, a beautiful text-based game called Dwarf Fortress. I've mentioned it on Secrets of Tech before. Uh, that is you, you play as a group of dwarves that's out making their own mine. And part of the part of the fun of the game is that you, you end up digging too deep. Like that's that's kind of your objective is to go and find the adamantine in this game. It's not called mithril, but same kind of thing where you dig down and you find the adamantine. And if you if you don't dig it properly, you end up releasing a whole lot of really fun things. <laughs> destroy your colony and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it because they're just too powerful and um this scene just reminded me of that game so much where they're they're (laughs) like poked a hole into the the cavern of really really bad things (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i i like i like the balrog though i i i like that the balrog's there we know that from lore that that's what ends up happening is that uh the the dwarves dig too deeply um, but it's greed that drives them to dig too deeply in in the lore. And I, ho- I hope they keep to that. I hope they don't push this as like, well, they were trying to do something good. And that's why they were 
getting the mithril and then release right. the Balrog. Yeah. I, I also think it's way too early in the yeah, timeline it, for them to awaken this Balrog. So that um, also made me have some questions. Yeah, it's interesting for it to be for it to have been shown in the show, though. And if if that's just a cameo, right? If that's all we get, it's just the cameo of the Balrog. That's kind of an odd cameo to throw in there, you know? Yeah, I think it's. I think we have to look at it as it's it's Chekhov's Balrog that you know we may not see him kind of may not see the Balrog kind of come out in full force this season. Um, I think well, there's going to be definitely more more story happening in Moria, or you know maybe another season, or or at least in, maybe in part of the next season is we see the Balrog kind of cause the havoc that you know and, and kill and become what he's known his name is known as, but. Um, yeah, I was so I'm curious kind of with so it it seems like Durin Princeton Durin is now disowned um from uh, that's kind of the way I read the scene is that the and I I I tried to google it and I couldn't find any translations of the runes on his neck plate that the king had kind of ripped off but uh, I'm I'm sure someone's working on that but um I'm so I'm curious to kind of see because they did say that if the king dies and Prince Durin is no longer you know, the heir, according to his father, then it, I think they said he has other brothers or other dwarf lords. And we could see kind of one of them have that mm. greed that mm. kind of leads to them mining too greedily or too deeply. Because I don't think uh, I, the way they're setting it, Princeton, and I think he's he seems to be kind of have good intentions. And he's honorable. Um, and it's and I, it just I love his interaction right. with Elrond. I really like their friendship. I almost got uh, choked up and when I, it, you even know, that, when they were crying. Yeah, and I wasn't on the first episode covering or the first one we did covering this, the first two episodes, but I did write down in my notes from when I when I was watching it the first time that I bet Elrond stayed in the contest. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was. I saw that. You saw it good. Yeah, so I was. Yes, because uh, Duran just kind of. I love Duran's just reaction, just like you were tricking me. Like he wasn't mad about it. He was, he just kind of accepted, you know, he's got his friend right. again. So that's, that's what's important. Uh, when I like there, my, my objective so, wasn't to um, win, I, but to, to continue talking with you, you know, that's right. Yeah. I really liked that about Elrond because that's kind of the way that we know his character. He's very good at, um, at kind of turning a conversation to in or an opportunity into whatever he might need mm. it to be but he's not doing it in kind of a slimy politician way, but he's doing it in a, in a crafty way. I thought the elder Durin at one point comes off as very irrational because he yells at his son for bringing up his for, for bringing up, you know, his wife during the fourth mother. And I'm like, you did it first, right? You, <laughs> I you, thought the you're same the thing. one who brought the mother <laughs> into the conversation. And uh-huh. then when he does it, he's like, how dare you? I'm like, Okay, whatever. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I think it's just a kind of. That's just how old dwarves act, I guess. <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. Right. That's the <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I, I felt the same way. <laughs> not a good track record for mothers in this show so mm-hmm. far. Because Sildor's mom is gone, and we don't know what's happened to Durin's mom. Maybe, hopefully, she didn't have some kind of big accident. Maybe. Just speculating, maybe she fell down at the mine or something. She knew 
heard about Mithril or something. Yeah. What's in- That's why Durin, King Durin doesn't want to doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to you know have more lives lost because yeah. of that. It's also intriguing. It's intriguing because the the mothers we do see, the women we do see on screen are very powerful women, are very strong women, you know, and for all of the other women who are off screen to be dead. It's kind of like, oh, okay. They didn't make the cut. Is that right? Yeah, because isn't because I'm trying to think it's, I know we've seen Bronwyn and then the Harfoot mm-hmm. mothers are, I think, the only ones uh, that are, of named characters that we've seen. Because uh, it was in assuming if Galadriel doesn't have a daughter somewhere. So. Yeah. yeah, Galadriel's the maybe mother. Were you going to say something else also? Uh, I completely forgot what I was going to say. Sorry. <laughs> so sorry. sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, th- I think that it's, it's interesting to see the, um, the relationships between the, the, the parents and the children in this, uh, in this series, though, because there, there are a lot of combinations of those, and they are, uh, they, they're meaning something. And uh, in this episode, too, we get the first instance in which Elrond brings up who he is himself without someone else bringing it up. And um, I thought that was really cool. That was a, a neat moment between him and the Elder Durin where he's promising, but he's promising on who he is and that, that he knows differently than the other elves. He knows them better than they know themselves almost, which is good. I like that. I also thought it was funny that Arondir was and his um, his fellow captives were willing to fight to the death to not chop down a tree. Mm-hmm. And then Elrond is like, we'll give you trees for... 500 years years? is that what he said it's like (laughs) hold on (laughs) is that it was kind of funny uh yeah (laughs) well they could chalk that up to ronder being uh a uh is it a sylvan elf or Mm -hmm. yeah that's true a tree a tree dweller not tree dweller but kind of more maybe more in tune with the nature with with being you know living in the woods whereas elrond is uh much more of a the city guy, uh, <laughs> even though we do see him kind of living in the <laughs> eventually founds kind of a nature kingdom in the middle of, uh, in the middle of nature. So, and uh, he's only half elven, so I guess he yeah, only loves trees half. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was yeah. funny. It was very, it was very interesting, and and then the the lay of the fauna too. Like they were going to allow them to hunt and hunt and uh, mm-hmm. take the trees for 500 years i think it shows how desperate they are and, and they're also yeah. very desperate yeah yeah, yeah it's because it, we don't know how much i mean it seems like he's been given a lot of leeway by Gilgalad on you know what he can promise so he if the dwarves had accepted and elrond goes back to them and says well we have to give them these trees and this this and this and it seems like Gilgalad probably would have been reluctant but said well we need the mithril so um but obviously we that's not what happened. We see him getting kicked out of, uh, kicked out of Moria. So, but he does have a little mithril with him, mm-hmm. and maybe it's enough to make a ring mm-hmm. with. That I had the same thought. Ring. Yeah, or three, three rings. Well, we'll see. Yeah, you got a nice chunk of it there. You could definitely make a couple little things mm-hmm. with it. <laughs> so yeah, we'll see where that comes out. And then we have the final. We have the stinger, which I thought was uh, a nice way to end this one. <laughs> So do you want to read that one out for us, Jeff? Yeah, so the <laughs> so the final uh the final scene is Adar basks in his victory while the text labeling the Southlands shape tweens into 
Uh, <laughs> that was so like over the top. It was just, so just, silly. <laughs> it made me laugh though. So well, I was like, the yeah. only thing that bo- I, like I was all right with it, but the only thing that bothered me about it is that no one said the name. Like, well, yeah, they, that's... they were all saying they were all saying Adar at the end, and it's like, but nobody he didn't mm-hmm. say the name, and I like it would have been fine if he had said the name. I think you know, like having that having the text, and then if it had been this text the southlands and then the southlands had burned and mordor had appeared but it, that's not even what it did it was like it just kind of like rolled and then there was mordor was like, yeah the closest okay. we got to someone <laughs> saying the name was galadriel calls it their shadow land mm-hmm. which is kind of mm-hmm. like what mordor means I get that they didn't want adar to name it because it's not his realm mm-hmm. to name it's more of something that belongs to Sauron. But at the same time, Joseph Maul, the actor who's playing Adar, he's got his creepy voice down mm. so well. So to have heard him saying Mordor, like that would have been so yeah. mm-hmm. cool, like a hundred times cooler than this goofy little <laughs> text on the screen. But I feel like if that would have been the case, we also would be complaining about that yeah. too, because <laughs> I thought that's what was going to happen. And I was like, oh, no, this is going to be so cheesy. But then what ended up happening was even more <laughs> cheesy. So it was they kind of wrote themselves into a lose lose situation with this. Yeah. Well, and so I want to I'm going to cycle back on this, too, because I think um, the, the title of the episode, like the title of the episodes has always been very clearly related to what's going on in the episode. This one's called The Eye. What I? Why? I mean, like, I know I get Muriel goes blind, and so they wanted to kind of hint at the like the eye of of Sauron, but then also that that Muriel went blind. You know, so I see that tying together, but it's like specifically, what eye are we talking about here? Well, wasn't the first shot of Galadriel's eye all covered in uh, ashes? That's true. Yeah, oh, it was. but. That also doesn't feel very significant. I, uh, just I forgot eye. it as we're going through. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah exactly. Oh. So yeah, this is one of the one of the first ones where I've been like, I don't understand the yeah. title. Yeah, because all the rest of them have felt pretty. Like once we get to the end of the episode, it's like, oh, okay, I see where you went with that. Uh-huh. So, and this is like a know. super minor detail, but one of the uh, the mystics. Oh, by the way, I've, I've I've been calling them the weird sisters. From Macbeth. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> so, but I almost said that too. I almost, but I was like, I don't want to go too. Oh, soon. that would have been awesome. <laughs> but anyway, what well, the the one her staff kind of the top of it kind of looks mm-hmm. like an inverted eye. Yeah, and I, I don't think that has really to do with the. That doesn't. I don't think that has to do with the title of the episode. But I'm like that marks you out as like somebody who works for Sauron. If you've got like this this eye staff, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a puzzling name, isn't it? I'm I'm hoping we get a little more information about it in the next one, but I I think that might have just been like I think Muriel's blindness was really kind of the, that's what I walked away with, like going maybe this is what they mean by it, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's the first one that I feel like hasn't had a clear tie between the the title and the and the end of the thing, and well, and I felt like the marketing for this episode in the days leading up to it was so weird because it was over and over Sauron would be mm-hmm. revealed. Um, there was a poster with Sauron and it said, it is time. 
you know, in all of my Instagram feed and, and it, there was no Sauron reveal. Like, what do they mean? It is time. So then they're naming the episode, the eye and there's still no Sauron. So it's been very confusing. Yep. That's why I feel like we're going to get the back of his head at, at the end of episode eight. Yeah. That's what it's going to be. Or his eye. They'll just, they'll zoom in <laughs> on his eye. Yeah. And that's all we'll see. <laughs> uh. At this point, I wouldn't be super surprised if we just don't get a reveal because everything has been so misleading. Uh, You're not. Yeah, I I would. Yeah. They're like, actually, nothing is solved. No reveals. See you in two years. Hang on while we get the rest of this thing together. It's it's hard to see how they're going to be able to wrap this up in just one more episode. I feel like this should have been a 10 mm. episode mm, yeah. season, not eight. Well, I feel like they could have breathed a little more in the first episode, too, if they had done that. But I even so, yeah. I think the first episode was they were struggling not to make it feel slow. And I think the beauty of the show is that his, it has been methodical and. I like that. I enjoy that as opposed to the like fast paced, just like there's an action scene every, every episode. There's somebody dying every episode. There's, you know, all this other stuff. I really like the, I like the pacing that they've had to it, the building of the characters. Cause we have a lot to talk about with the characters, which is, I wasn't expecting that as much as, as we ended up with from the show. So I think it's interesting. Yeah. It's methodical, but I've never been bored. Right. In every mm-hmm. episode at the end of almost every episode, I've been like, I really want to see what happens next now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it, at least for me, that's where the show really succeeds. And it's like, you know, my brother and I who have been watching it. We after we watch it, we end up talking for like an hour about the show mm-hmm. afterwards. So like. At least for me personally, that's a mark that like I'm enjoying the show. It's keeping me interested, even the things I don't like. Make me talk about it in not a rage way, but just kind of right. like, you know, discussing it way. So in mm-hmm. in my case, at least it's it succeeded in being a really entertaining kind of different take on this material. So I'm I'm really looking forward to next week. I'm just disappointed, like you said, that the season's not longer because I mm-hmm. think we. They, they could have developed stuff more instead of having to cram everything into the finale. <laughs> or that we're going to have to wait so for long sure. for the next season. Darn it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's going to be a long time. Well, they did. So I, I don't know if we talked about it on, on the podcast, but they did, they did report that there's filming it started. So hopefully, um, you know, hopefully it's less than two years, but I don't Hopefully, I don't I know because there was an interview with the showrunners and they said a couple of years. Oof. So oh, that made me. Hopefully a little it's just bit a couple of years on their upset. calendar, not on ours. Like, you know, maybe they already. Yeah, maybe they started yeah. last year. Right. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I, I don't think I don't think they, I don't think they can go that long between them and have them like really be successful. So. I think they would have to start over from scratch with all of their marketing, which I think they should anyways, because it's <laughs> so bad. pretty oh, yes. bad. No they offense. Need to scrap <laughs> all of that. I even I haven't been watching much of it, but the ones that I've seen, I'm like, this is not fairly representing the mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. 
Well, there's one out now that says heroes will fall. And it's a picture of a Lendil and a Sealdor, like two characters that we know are not falling anytime soon. <laughs> like, I just don't know why you would do that. Well, maybe not falling by, you know, maybe not falling. They, they're, they're trying to do another misdirector, mm-hmm. not falling like they're dying, but maybe <sighs> they'll you know, have some kind of a fall or a setback. So just trying to head. Yeah, I, I guess that. <laughs> that's kind of how it's been. It's like you can explain everything away by going 10 steps in a different direction, but it's just all so baffling in a way. I'm I'm just, I'm stunned because I, I know that on the podcast, we talk a lot about the Halbrand, uh Sauron meter, right? And we're, you know, I, I don't think any of us mm-hmm. have it, have that needle even twitching at this point. Like we're really pretty solidly convinced that he's not, but I don't know, though. So, <laughs> OK, wait, hold on. Never la- mind. <laughs> so in the last. OK, the last scene where he's laying there and he's like, oh, babe, I'm so wounded. I need elvish medicine. Uh, and then he just gets up and walks to his horse. And then he's so much taller than everyone. Mm. Like I saw a still from that and he's at least a foot taller than everyone. And I was like, you know what? Sauron would be that much taller than everyone. And then I, I just feel like him mysteriously being wounded. No one saw it happen, but he's he's it almost looks like he's faking being sick to get out of school, kind of. <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, that I really need elvish medicine. Don't go and get it. Just bring me to the elves like that. So I would say I was probably at like a four and now I'm maybe at a five with my Sauron meter. All right. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a development. But I feel like that's development. <laughs> I don't know. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, because I think I was at a I was at maybe a, a three point five last week, and I think I may have gone up four point five be, just because of that scene that you were talking about, where mm. he because I I think in the scene it's Gladriel saying he needs elvish medicine. But yeah. yeah, he's and he's you know looking pretty rough, but then he you know gets up and gets on the horse. So I'm I I'm still. Personally, I still think he's leaning more toward that he's the king of the dead or the uh, the Oathbreakers, but it did kind of bump it up a little bit in, in toward that he's Sauron. So, um, but yeah, it could just be that they, you know, he was they gave him they drugged him up because you know Bronwyn gave him the good stuff and uh, mm-hmm. to get him <laughs> get him up on the horse. And, True. Uh, get him on yeah it's funny get him, out, get him on the way so. i i didn't catch any of that like when and, and and i watched the episode twice i i thought i was think when you guys were talking though i was thinking well maybe you know if if sauron is mysteriously already at work among the elves this could be how halbrand first meets him mm. you know if if halbrand ends up becoming later like one of the oath breakers or a ring wraith, a devotee of Sauron, he needs to meet him eventually. Mm-hmm. I think he might become an apprentice in Celebrimbor's um, mm. oh, workshop. Smith, yeah, maybe working under Anatar because they've emphasized how good he is with smithy kind of work. That's a good point. So I don't think he, I guess I I guess I don't think he's Sauron, but he just was acting very weird. It's totally suspicious. <laughs> Very suspicious. He's just like, yeah, I, I'm so wounded, Galadriel. <laughs> well, see, I, I brought it up because a lot of the comments. Well, it wasn't really get, him saying that, though, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Um, well, he, he, 
it was it was Galadriel that brings up that he needs elf medicine, and it was Bronwyn mentioning how wounded he is, and he's he's actually kind of self deprecating in the whole thing, where he's just like, yeah, well, I don't feel like I'm doing doing much of a good job as a king right now, you know. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. But it's but it's interesting because all the commentary we get, like there's there's this split where there's a lot of people that really do feel like like they've got their Sauron needle for Halbrand all the way up to to nine. You know, they're like definitely he's definitely Sauron, and um. So I'm I'm just intrigued that they've been able to take people that know Tolkien lore so well and confuse us all <laughs> so completely about who <laughs> Sauron is in the series. Well, yeah, like I said last episode, they want us doing this. They want us doing mm-hmm. what we're doing. All of us who who talk about this kind of stuff for a living, they want us to constantly be speculating about who Sauron is and driving discussion further i just don't know if they can keep this hype going Um, (laughs) between the hiatus we're gonna get i don't think it's possible Mm. yeah i mean i know whatever the last second of the show is gonna be some kind of a cliffhanger and i i think it's gonna be anatar like turning where you see half of his face or something yeah and then then we'll have something else to freak (laughs) out about but they are setting themselves up for so many things that I don't know if they can wrap everything up. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I, I feel like I, I'm going to be honest. And I feel like this episode was one of the better directed episodes. And that worries me a little bit because this is not the person who ends up being the director of the main storyline for this season. Cause um, we're back to the previous four or so episodes. Uh, director after this and that's who gets the final say for the season so mm-hmm. uh, we'll see <laughs> yeah six and seven were directed by charlotte brandstrom oh, okay. i mm-hmm. believe and those six was my favorite episode um so yeah to, we're kind of going back to a different director so we'll see how that goes but he directed three and four i think which mm-hmm. had a lot of numenor stuff and i really liked those episodes so. yeah I, I think we're going to get more Numenor in the finale because they've left. We've not seen some of those characters for like two episodes now. Mm-hmm. You know, like Farazan and his son and Elendil's daughter. So we've got to catch up with what they're doing <laughs> mm-hmm. before the season Definitely. ends. I'm very curious to see how they're going to fit so much into one episode. And I don't think that the finale is going to be any longer than a normal episode. Yeah, they did it with the first episode. They crammed a whole lot of stuff in there. So hopefully hopefully they can land the plane. I'm I'm going to give them grace and say they've done a pretty good job of it. And they have to leave enough of it open for us to want the second season when it does finally drop. So maybe it'll work. Or it'll it'll be like the Dark Crystal and they cancel it. No, 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 no. No, don't mention that word. I don't think I don't think there's. (laughs) Any risk? I because Jeff Bezos is like, this is like That's his right. project. Yeah. So yeah. I feel so like it's more likely it. that everyone on the show gets fired and the show gets replaced, <laughs> you know, than the show actually being canceled. Because I just think this is like his baby, and I don't think anything. And they've stop already it. they've already Which started kind of, filming season two, so we're getting it anyway. So. Yeah. Definitely. You want it or not, it's coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see how we feel next week. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be interesting. I've been I've been on board. I think this episode for me kind of it was the final straw that cut 
that, you know, this, this is a Peter Jackson show. This is a Peter Jackson spinoff, not necessarily a Tolkien lore thing. They're, they're leaning heavily on the Tolkien lore, but this is really like the movies continued, which, which I'm good with. I'm okay. I'm okay with that. And so I'm intrigued to see where they take it. All right. Any final thoughts on the episode? I think like what you were saying, I think as long as we're aware that we're firmly in like Peter Jackson fan fiction territory, the show is really easy to enjoy. Um, it's when things like Kelborn and the Mithril, the magical Mithril get mentioned that it pulls me out of that and I start getting mad and I start yelling at the TV. But after I calm down and I have, you just have to, uh, kind of disassociate the show from the books. They're two separate things and I love them both in different mm-hmm. ways. I love the books more, but I still like the show. So I just think keeping the right mindset is, is really the only way to get yeah. through it. That, that's I hundred percent agree with that. <laughs> All right. So uh, that's it from us. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of middle earth, including Mitch G, Michael S, Christina F, Cecilia C and Paul V. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Middle Earth and all the shows here at StarQuest. You can join them at sqpn.com slash give. This StarQuest show is brought to you by Tim Shevlin's personal fitness training for Catholics, providing spiritual and physical wellness through personalized nutrition, workout and prayer programs, and daily accountability check-ins. Learn more by visiting fitcatholics.com. So we'd love to hear what you guys think. Uh, Have had lots of great commentary from our listeners, and so definitely find us on Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, and uh, let us know what you've been thinking about it. You can also find us at sqpn.com slash Middle Earth or on our Facebook page or Twitter, or you can just email us directly, uh, Middle Earth at sqpn.com. Uh, we'll be back next time when we discuss the finale. And um, and I'm excited to see to see what everybody's thoughts are on that and how that goes and whether we are waiting for season two after we watch that that last episode <laughs> so uh until then uh thomas salerno thank you for joining me for the secrets of middle earth thank you so much and jeff hecker thank you for joining me thank you thomas and caitlin fishista thank you for joining me thanks for having me and once again i'm thomas Enhero, and this has been the secrets of middle earth on starquest Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy, The Secrets of Star Wars. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Star Wars.